Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. The Senate has confirmed 100 judges since President Biden took office. Democrats are celebrating, and they're especially highlighting the diverse backgrounds of the judges. A fiery hearing in Washington yesterday. At the FCC needs a board member, and nominee Gigi Sohn wants the job. But Senate Republicans say not so fast. How will Republican presidential candidates win over voters in next year's primary? Apparently by pushing back against critical race theory and gender ideology. That's what a new poll says. We hear from the pollster. Concerns rise in Ohio in the wake of the train derailment. Is the air and water safe? Authorities say toxic chemicals have entered the Ohio River. The Senate has confirmed 100 judges nominated by President Biden since he took office. Democrats are celebrating, Republicans not so much. Today, the Senate reaches a major milestone as we confirm the 100th judicial nominee of the Biden administration. That's Democrats are celebrating the 100th federal judge confirmed by the Senate under Biden. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer took to Twitter Tuesday, saying this Senate has confirmed more judges by this point in a president's term than under either of the two previous administrations and will keep going. In a related press release, Schumer highlighted what kind of judges they confirmed, saying Senate Democrats have focused intensely on expanding the diversity of our courts. The Democrats' press release also points out that more black women have been confirmed to the circuit court judgeships under President Biden and Senate Democrats than under all previous presidents combined. President Biden made similar remarks about the 100 judges, saying, I'm especially proud that the nominees I've put forward and that the Senate has confirmed represent the diversity that is one of our best assets as a nation. However, Texas Senator Ted Cruz says the Senate may be pushing diversity at the expense of competence. Many of these nominees are quite literally the most extreme judicial nominees I've seen in 10 years on the Senate. Part of the reason the Democrat majority is trying to move 29 nominees in one morning is to flood the zone with so many bad nominees that nobody can focus on how utterly unqualified these nominees are to be judges. As an example, Cruz says that judicial nominee Kenley Kiyakato was unable to say if racial discrimination is wrong when he grilled her on it. Okay, let me ask again, is racial discrimination wrong? Senator, as a judge, I, I, I don't um, deal with issues of morality or whether something... So you have no views on whether it's right or wrong? Senator, because that is an issue that is frequently litigated before the courts, pursuant to Canon 3 of the Code of Conduct... Okay, so why... Does Cruz also criticized that all Democratic senators agreed to confirm the Biden nominees. It's not just the judges the Senate is confirming. Yesterday, a nominee for the Federal Communications Commission board sat for her third hearing, but she was met with strong opposition from Senate Republicans. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more on the hearing. Good morning, Ranking Member Cruz and members of the committee. President Joe Biden nominated Gigi Sohn in October 2022 to fill a vacant seat on the five-member FCC board. Sohn is an attorney who previously served as counselor to former FCC chairman Tom Wheeler. Senator Ted Cruz says a basic requirement for public officials is trustworthiness. Cruz says Sohn has failed on that front. The issue is her tenure on the board of a company that was sued by multiple TV networks for copyright infringement. 
A settlement was reached around when Sohn was nominated for the FCC position. Cruz called the settlement a sweetheart deal and questioned the timing. Cruz also claimed Sohn made political contributions to at least 12 senators who were set to vote on her confirmation. Republicans brought up social media posts Sohn shared or wrote criticizing police, members of the Senate, and conservative media outlets. Ms. Sohn portrays herself as a defender of free speech, but she has a history of campaigning to censor conservatives. She calls Fox News, quote, dangerous to our democracy. Sohn also acknowledged sharing or writing Twitter posts about former President Donald Trump and Supreme Court Justice Brent Kavanaugh that could be considered racist. The Senate committee chair says these personal attacks are a distraction. Ms. Sohn has a history of putting the public first. But Republicans aren't backing down. I fear that if you're given this position of authority, you will use that authority to continue to inflame and to continue, potentially even, to censor based on some of these ideas. Individuals in politics have strong convictions. But serious leaders demonstrate the ability to act in a fair and impartial manner. Uh, you have not. Sohn countered that the posts were made in her role as a private citizen and had nothing to do with the FCC. And Senator Edward Markey came to her defense. He said she has been the victim of smears, double standards, and personal attacks. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The culture war. According to a new poll, that's going to be a critical battleground in 2024. The poll shows Republican voters in the presidential primary are most likely to support candidates tackling things related to critical race theory and gender ideology. Let's learn more about it. Joining us now is Terry Schilling, president of the American Principles Project, which commissioned the poll. Thanks for coming on the show today, Terry. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I love doing this work and I love coming on. Yeah, it's very important. The culture war issues that Republican primary voters are most concerned with are parental rights, banning sex change procedures, and age verification to view online pornography. What will GOP contenders need to do to win votes in 2024? Well, uh, it's, it's, it's mostly um, a, a race that's come down to Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, who have been very strong on these issues. So if any of these guys really want to break out, they really need to champion the family. They need to go above and beyond we want a full-fledged competition. You know, let let the, uh, the, uh, the the chaos ensue and let everyone compete as hard as they can for the family. Who's going to come up with the best ideas to protect our kids in schools and from the broader culture? Um, but we need to protect our kids from porn online. We need to protect them from this gender ideology that's in schools. Critical race theory is another big issue. Um, it's really going to come down to who's willing to push back against this woke assault against America's culture. Um, and whoever stands out most there is going to be the nominee of the party. You talk about protecting the family, standing up to these gender ideologies here. Non-culture war issues were less significant, with a slim majority of GOP voters saying they would favor a candidate creating a pathway for illegal immigrants to obtain citizenship. And it was about 50-50 for more support to Ukraine. Why is gender ideology all of a sudden a main issue? I think it's because, well, for two reasons. Gender ideology has exploded in recent years. Uh, it's on every, it's on, it's on the front page of every newspaper. It's on the nightly news every night. People feel inundated and attacked nonstop 
but also it's a major threat. I think that Americans and primarily conservative Americans understand the threat that gender ideology poses, right? And they understand the lie that it's built on. We all know that we cannot change our sex. It's a it's a consumer fraud uh, to claim that someone that you can give someone a surgery or a procedure that can make them change their sex. It's just not true. And people inherently and instinctively know that this will destroy America and it will destroy society if we allow it to go any further. Now, the GOP has traditionally been concerned with less government spending, lower taxes, a stronger military. And when we look at foreign affairs, there's hostile regimes across the world. But here we have an issue kind of eroding America from within. So can you compare the two threats and how these candidates are going to go after them? Yeah, so, so how I would break the Republican Party down in terms of not our voters, but in terms of our candidates is it's about a third, a third, a third. A third of the Republican Party candidates understand the importance and the politics and the political opportunity that these culture war issues present to us. Another third don't understand the importance of it. They think that it'll just go away and that there's nothing that needs to get done. But then another third fundamentally misunderstands the political opportunities presented uh, with this. And they actually think that addressing these culture war issues will hurt them in the election. The problem is, is that these fiscal issues in Ukraine and all of that, uh, people don't want more wars. People don't want, uh, you know, to balance the budget in, term, in, in a time of such uncertainty as we are in now. Um, they're much more concerned about the immediate and direct threats that are facing them, their children, their families. Well, thanks for breaking this down for us. And the poll found that Governor DeSantis, who hasn't announced a bid, leads former President Trump 53 to 38 percent in the primary. Both of them have been prominent leaders in these cultural issues. Do you think DeSantis's abolishing diversity, equity and inclusion departments in his state has contributed to his popularity among this group? I think it's all of the above with Ron DeSantis. He has really understood the pulse of America and the pulse of the conservative movement. He's been on offense across the board. He was one of the first governors to sign a, a women's sports bill into law when so many were vetoing it, right? And, you know, Christy Noem early on vetoed it. She's now not only signed a women's sports bill into law, but has signed a genital mutilation ban into law. So we've gotten her around. But he's just been so ahead of the curve on all these issues, transgenderism, the diversity, inclusion, equity garbage that's out there. He's just been so good, and I think voters understand that he's stepping up to the plate in a major way. He has been championing the resistance to this. Terry Schilling, president of the American Principles Project, thank you so much for your analysis. Thanks so much for having me. Senator Ted Cruz says he will run for re-election. The Texas Republican told reporters yesterday that he'll seek a third term in the Senate in 2024. It's still unclear whether Cruz could be planning a presidential bid. That's because Texas law does allow a candidate to run for Senate and the president at the same time. However, when asked to clarify, Cruz answered, quote, I'm running for re-election to the Senate. Cruz ran for president in 2016, but fell short to former President Trump in the primaries. Toxic chemicals have entered the Ohio River. That's what officials are now saying after the train derailment fiasco Entity's Daniel Monahan has more in the aftermath of the fiery crash. The spill did flow to the Ohio River during that initial slug. The EPA has acknowledged the spill of hazardous chemicals into the river, but says it's a large water body that's able to dilute the pollutants pretty quickly. Officials say residents near the derailment should only use bottled water until more test results are in, but are assuring people that drinking water in the area has remained protected. We're seeing very low levels of con 
of contaminants and so all of the treatment being done at those water systems take out any contamination before it finished water. The contaminants that spilled into waterways were toxic to fish. We have estimated based on our sampling and modeling about 3,500 dead fish across that space, across those streams, tributaries, waterways. Vinyl chloride and at least three other toxic chemicals were released into the air, soil, or water. The Ohio Department of Public Health says that most people can be around the volatile organic compounds at low levels without really feeling health effects. However, at higher levels, especially over a longer period of time, then we can have longer-term health effects. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine says he personally spoke with the Norfolk Southern CEO. He says the company promised to remain in the area until the damage was completely cleared up. He gave me his word and his commitment that the railroad would do that. It's been more than a week since about 50 cars of a freight train derailed in a fiery, mangled mess near the Pennsylvania state line. Authorities chose to intentionally release and burn toxic vinyl chloride from five rail cars, sending flames and black smoke billowing high into the sky. The goal was to avoid the danger of an uncontrolled blast. The jarring scene left people questioning the potential health impacts for residents in the area and beyond. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Now Arizona also has a hazardous material spill. Yesterday, a tanker truck hauling nitric acid overturned on an interstate near Tucson. Drivers along the interstate shot video of the toxic leak emitting reddish smoke. The highway was closed for hours. Public safety officials urged residents nearby to remain inside. They said the first responders were working to evacuate a perimeter around the incident out of an abundance of caution. The local fire department notified that it was helping to control the hazmat and brush fire incidents at the crash site. There are still a lot of unknowns, like the cause of the accident and the extent of injuries and whether other vehicles were involved. But we do know that the hazardous material spilled was nitric acid. It was being transported in liquid form. Nitric acid is used to wash glassware and metal equipment, and it's a highly corrosive chemical, so it can cause severe lung damage if inhaled. It's also irritating to the skin and the eyes. Passersby were advised to turn off heaters and air conditioning units that bring in outside air. And still to come, Elon Musk gives details on his timetable to replace himself as the CEO of Twitter. He spoke during the World Government Summit in Dubai. And New York City taxpayers have spent more than half a billion dollars on city-owned car crash claims. A new report explains in detail more in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Senator Josh Hawley introduced two bills aimed at big tech yesterday. His goal is to protect kids online and prevent harm from social media companies. The Mature Act would enforce a minimum age requirement of 16 for all users on social media platforms, while the other bill is called the Federal Social Media Research Act. It would commission a government report on the harm of social media for kids. Senator Hawley says children suffer every day from the effects of social media. He says big tech companies, at best, are neglecting children's health and monetizing their personal information, and at worst, being complicit in their exploitation and manipulation. The kid's ability to figure out how to, how to set what's on this phone. My 10-year-old my knows more about this phone than I know about it already. 
what's going to be like in another four years or five or six years like your son, Ms. Bride. So I just say as a parent, it would put me much more in the driver's seat if the law was you couldn't have a phone. I'm sorry, you couldn't get on social media till 16. In related news, a CDC survey on Monday found increasing mental health challenges among teens. The agency declared a national youth mental health crisis. 42% of high school students reported experiencing persistent sadness and hopelessness in 2021. Researchers say social media is a contributing factor. Twitter chief Elon Musk is discussing plans for a new CEO. He says that towards the end of 2023 would be good timing to find someone else to run Twitter. That's when he expects the social media platform to be stable. I think I need to um, stabilize the organization uh, and just make sure it's in a uh, financially healthy place um, and that the, the, the product roadmap is clearly laid out. Um, so I don't know, I, I'm guessing probably towards the end of this year um, should, would be good timing to um, find uh, someone else to run the company. Musk was speaking virtually at the World Government Summit in Dubai. He took over as the head of Twitter in October after buying Twitter for $44 billion. On December 21st, Musk said on Twitter that he would resign as its chief executive as soon as he finds someone foolish enough to take the job. He added that he would just run the software and servers teams. Musk ran a poll on the social media platform days earlier on whether he should step down as Twitter CEO. A majority of respondents said he should. Twitter is listed on ranking site SimilarWeb as the second most popular social media platform after Facebook. Microsoft is working on issues with its revamped version of Bing. A report from an AI researcher highlighted factual errors in last week's demo. The demo was supposed to show off how features from the company behind ChatGPT could enhance the search engine. It included pros and cons for products, trip itinerary help, and comparisons of corporate earnings. The researcher says it failed to differentiate between types of vacuums during the product portion. He says it even seemed to make up information about some items. In the vacation part, it missed or apparently fabricated information about bars in Mexico City. It also gave inaccurate financial information about Gap and Lululemon. Microsoft says it's collecting user feedback in order to improve the new Bing. Not to be left out, Google demoed a similar AI tool, which also made mistakes. A federal judge is ordering Sam Bankman-Fried back to court this Thursday after learning he used a virtual private network to access the Internet. Judge Lewis Kaplan says he wants to hear about the two times the FTX founder used a VPN in the past month. Defense attorneys say he just wanted to get into his international NFL subscription, but prosecutors say VPNs can help users access international cryptocurrency exchanges that block American IP addresses. Judge Kaplan says Bankman-Fried even used a VPN after the judge expressed concern about his use of encrypted texting apps that auto-delete messages. Kaplan had given the prosecutors and defense attorneys until Monday to explain how to retain such text messages. Both sides said they needed more time to rework bail terms, but the judge rejected their request. Bankman-Fried has pleaded not guilty to fraud and conspiracy charges. Senator Marco Rubio is raising the alarm over Ford Motor's deal with a Chinese battery company. He says he wants to make sure no U.S. funds go to the Chinese company, especially in light of the recent Chinese spy balloon. The senator says the deal will only deepen U.S. reliance on the Chinese Communist Party for battery tech. 
Rubio also says he thinks it's likely designed to make the factory eligible for Inflation Reduction Act tax credits. Ford, on the other hand, argues that the new plant would create 2,500 jobs and begin producing cheaper and faster recharging EV batteries in 2026. It says it would own and control the facility with no foreign investment or U.S. tax dollars going to the Chinese company. Rubio is calling for an immediate committee review of the licensing agreement between Ford and the company CATL. In New York City, car crash claims involving city-owned vehicles are a huge expense. A report says these settlements have cost taxpayers more than half a billion dollars in the last decade. Between 2012 and 2021, New York City taxpayers paid more than $500 million in civil settlements for car accidents involving city-owned vehicles. That's according to a report from the office of New York City Comptroller Brad Lander. Of these over 4,000 crashes, claims against the NYPD made up the majority, accounting for about 38%. Lander called the city's vehicle collisions a serious public safety concern, adding when a New Yorker is hit and harmed by a squad car or a garbage truck, it's New York City taxpayers who have to settle the bill. One notable trend is that while the number of claims against municipal vehicles is falling, the amount of compensation continues to soar. This thanks to the growth in fatal and serious injury crashes. According to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, in 2020, traffic deaths nationwide jumped more than 18% to over 20,000. New York City observed the same surge. Traffic fatalities in the past two years were up 20% from 2019, the year before the pandemic hit. As a response, officials are working to improve road safety across the city. Lander's report recommends cutting back on the size of municipal fleets. It also calls for the use of smaller vehicles to lower the severity of crashes. The report further urges municipal agency drivers to take responsibility for their driving. Turning to the Michigan University shooter, the suspect who killed three and injured five others at Michigan State University on Monday had a previous gun charge. Anthony McRae was charged in June 2019 with a felony for carrying a concealed handgun without a permit. But those charges were dismissed by District Attorney Carol Seaman. Her office allowed the suspect to plead guilty to a lesser misdemeanor gun charge. He served a little more than a year on probation, although he initially faced up to five years in prison for the felony charge. Seaman left the DA's office at the beginning of the year. She was facing backlash from judges and police for what they felt were her soft-on-crime policies. Seaman started an official policy at her DA's office to drop mandatory prison sentences for felony firearms charges. She said automatic sentencing resulted in dramatic racial inequity and added that such a policy was not at all linked to the goal of keeping the public safe. A Wisconsin murder suspect violently attacked her attorney in court yesterday. 25-year-old Taylor Chauvinez is accused of killing her lover last year and putting his severed head in a bucket. She's pleading insanity. Her attorney, Quinjali, had just convinced the judge to change her trial date when she unexpectedly attacked him. A security deputy wrestled her to the ground. The judge postponed the trial date to May 15th, but didn't rule on the defense attorney's motion to be removed from the case after the attack. Separate from the insanity defense, the court must decide if Chauvinesse is even competent to stand trial. She continues to be held on a $2 million bond. Police in Washington, D.C. are advising residents to take caution following a string of robberies targeting people wearing Canada goose jackets. Winter coats from the popular brand are valued from $550 to over $1,800. 
Police say at least five robberies have been reported since the start of the year. People are asked to see if their coats are held at gunpoint, but to get a good description of the robber and call 911. Some of the robberies have occurred in broad daylight on busy streets. In one case, District of Columbia police sought help via Twitter to identify two men who stole Canada goose jackets from a couple walking with their son. According to NBC Washington, the men approached the couple in the middle of the afternoon. Four dead whales have washed onto the Virginia coast since the beginning of the year. Authorities are now investigating. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration says one was a 20-year-old male North Atlantic right whale. They're considered one of the world's most endangered large whale species. Likely fewer than 350 remain in the wild. The other whales were humpbacks. One found on February 7th showed no obvious signs of recent entanglement or interaction with ships. Another was dead for several days before washing ashore. Along the New York and New Jersey coast, nearly a dozen whales have been found dead since early December. And coming up, a radio host was beaten to death in a Chinese prison, all because of his faith. His close friend posted a graphic video of his corpse that went viral on Twitter. And the Chinese regime is accused of meddling in Canada's federal election. They allegedly targeted a member of parliament with disinformation campaigns. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. In China, a 30-year-old Sichuan radio host was beaten to death in a local prison because of his faith. But before we go into this, please be aware that the footage we're about to show you might be disturbing. Peng Xuan, host of Sichuan People's Radio, is a Falun Gong practitioner. He was involved in different media hosting and reporting. Peng was arbitrarily arrested by Chinese authorities on his way to work because of his faith. He was detained in July 2020 and died in December. His close friend filmed a graphic video of his corpse and posted it online after his family agreed to release the video. This video then went viral. Chinese authorities claim Pang died from hypothyroidism during his detention, but the video shows wounds all over his body. Pang's friend told the Chinese Epic Times that Pang was definitely assaulted in prison. Pang's family and friends say he was in good health before his detention. The injuries on his body appear to be electric baton marks, bruises, and binding marks, indicating that he was tortured in custody. Just after his death, the family hired a forensic doctor who was prevented from entering the mortuary. The Chinese regime then required the family to cremate the body within 10 days. In the tweet, Pang's friend says, He was a very sunny and handsome young man. He was the purest and kindest person I knew. The reason for his arrest was that Pong and his family practiced Falun Gong. Although I don't practice Falun Gong, this is by no means a reason for the CCP to kill him. Falun Gong is an ancient self-cultivation method that originated in China. It's based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. The practice has spread to over 70 countries worldwide, but China banned it when it gained popularity back in 1999. Pang's case is only one of thousands being silenced. The website Minghui.org collects accounts of persecution and arrests of practitioners in China. It reported over 100 Falun Gong practitioners were sentenced in January this year. 
mass-produced propaganda from Beijing with limited human effort required. A research firm has identified a series of deepfake video clips featuring AI-generated newscasters, all of them broadcasting messages that align with the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. Here are the details. On first glance, these look like news anchors, but they are not real people. They're deep fake avatars made with artificial intelligence. It's unclear who is behind this, but last year, pro-CCP bot accounts sent them out over Twitter and Facebook. But this is the first time we've seen footage of an entirely fictitious fake person used in a politically motivated influence operation. This particular set of videos was promoted by an operation that we call Spamouflage, which we've been tracking since at least 2019. Um, and routinely amplifies narratives that align with Beijing's strategic interests. The research from Grafica issued a report on this broader campaign. It says in part, quote, more videos portrayed the U.S. in a negative light than focused on any other theme. These fake news anchors were made with technology from British AI company Synthesia. This technology is spreading rapidly around the world. China's state media has even created a whole team of AI news anchors. The proliferation of deep fake videos makes it dramatically harder to combat disinformation. The Chinese regime's alleged interference in foreign elections is back into the spotlight. In Canada, a former diplomat says China's disinformation campaign has cost a member of parliament. Here's the story. Canada's House of Commons heard a round of allegations accusing Beijing of meddling in the country's 2021 federal election. In September of that year, then-popular Conservative Member of Parliament Kenny Chu lost his seat. But he might still be in office if it weren't for a Beijing disinformation campaign. That's according to former Ambassador to China Charles Burton. He testified at the hearing before Canadian Congress last week. I think what happened in the case of Mr. Chu was that on the same day as there was a, a poll that came out that showed that the Conservatives might achieve a minority government, then this uh, massive campaign of disinformation on multiple Chinese language websites directed at people in Canada appeared. What made Chu a thorn in the side of the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP? In a bill in April, the politician called for the resignation of those who lobby for foreign governments. He also voted to declare China's treatment of Uyghurs as genocide. CCP-controlled media outlets were quick to blast Chu as a so-called anti-China activist and succeeded in stoking the wrath of the Chinese nationalists overseas. Burton argued that Canada shouldn't back down. My subjective judgment was that the impact was enormous. The longer we remain passive and ineffective, the more encouraged they'll be that they can do more of this and get away with it. No Chinese diplomats have been declared persona non grata and no agents of the Chinese regime have been brought before a Canadian court to be accountable for alleged uh, criminal activity, that this emboldens the Chinese regime to do much more of it in the next election. Persona non grata means the person is unwelcome. Global News cites a 2017 memo to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. It lays out evidence of the Chinese regime's infiltration in, quote, all levels of government. It adds that those tactics are designed to influence Canadian officials and to compromise the security of the country. What's more, Beijing has been caught secretly funding Canadian candidates. The Canadian Security Intelligence Service is investigating the situation. Four balloons spotted in recent days, one of them from China, but what about the other three? 
Entity's Tiffany Meyer sat down with Casey Fleming, the CEO of Black Ops Partners, to find out more about the balloon's origins and why he calls the situation a Pearl Harbor moment for the United States. Casey, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me. So it seems almost every day we have another object being shot down after the Chinese surveillance balloon. We also had three other objects, one in Canada and then two others. One of them was described as an octagon. What are we seeing here? What's the significance? What's really happened is very key. These balloons that are coming across the United States and in other parts of the world, South America and, and others as well, these balloons are today's Pearl Harbor moment. It's very serious, okay? And when I say that, you know, Americans are typically the kind of people that say, hey, listen, I'll believe it when I see it. Those of us who work in counterintelligence have seen this all day, every day for, for decades of what's going on under the scenes in the CCP's unrestricted warfare strategy to eliminate and destroy the United States and the free world. And so the balloons are, you know, they accomplish several things. Number one, it's psychological warfare because they're entering uh, sovereign territory, sovereign airspace. And those of us that go outside and look at the bright star, bright stars and those starry nights, those Texas nights or wherever we are, um, those are protected by the United States. And some, you know, no foreign adversary is ever going to penetrate our skies. And they did. And so that's that's number one, to show weakness and to, and to threaten the United States and say that you're no longer on top. And uh, uh, so you can assure you can be rest assured that you watch the news programs throughout China. They're saying, yes, the United States is weak. China is the most powerful and all that's being used to to handle psychological warfare, um, showing that the American that the United States is weak and the CCP is uh, stronger. The United States is a declining power and the CCP is a rising power and the only one with the ability to to take over and run this run the world, albeit not a free world, but a communist, a Chinese communist world. So anybody still doing business in China and buying Chinese goods and services, all you're doing is funding the Chinese Communist Party to take over America, your family, your children, your grandchildren. So I would I would caution Americans to really look for other sources to, to spend their money. And then secondly, vote people in office, state, federal, local government that are not infiltrated and subverted by the CCP. And you mentioned that this, you know, is our Pearl Harbor moment. So how should we be responding? We should respond by not buying Chinese products whatsoever, uh, making sure any of our investments are not investing in China and um, staying educated on this subject, ed educated on unrestricted warfare, understand that these, these events that are happening throughout the world and they'll continue to happen, they'll be more frequent and more serious, that you have to understand it's not the world we lived in five years ago. It's not the world we lived in 10 years ago. We have an adversary who wants to take us over. So stay educated, stay alert. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, the First Minister of Scotland quits suddenly. She says she doesn't want to negatively affect Scotland's independence cause. A commission publishes a report on sexual abuse in Portugal's Catholic churches. It says thousands of children were abused over 70 years. More shortly here on NTD News Today.
U.S. fighter jets intercepted four Russian military aircraft that entered Alaska's air defense identification zone this Monday. The North American Aerospace Defense Command, also called NORAD, oversees North American airspace and its defense. The organization responded to the incursion with two F-16 fighter jets, two F-35 fighter jets, and three other supporting aircraft. The NORAD forces successfully intercepted the Russian bombers and fighters. Alaska's air defense identification zone is not part of U.S. airspace, but is the zone immediately surrounding it. The NORAD statement said that the incursion was in no way related to several high-profile, unidentified aerial phenomena over the last two weeks. Further, it said the action was more routine than escalatory. Russian forces usually attempt to penetrate the zone several times a year in an effort to test U.S. responses. But Russia's military is also taking some not-so-routine actions. For the first time in three decades, Russian ships have sailed into the Baltic Sea with tactical nuclear weapons. The Norwegian Intelligence Service said these ships are part of Russia's northern fleet. The report notes these weapons pose a serious threat to NATO in several scenarios. The ongoing tensions between Russia and the West could further heighten that threat, meaning a local conflict could evolve into a broader war. A U.S.-backed report published yesterday says Russia has held at least 6,000 Ukrainian children. It says the primary purpose appears to be political re-education. In many cases, Russia purported to temporarily evacuate children in Ukraine under the guise of a free summer camp, only to later refuse to return the children and to cut off all contact with their families. Such actions obviously will have serious long-term implications on these children's development. Putin seeks to rob Ukraine of its future by taking its children. Russia's system of forced relocation, re-education, and adoption of Ukraine's children is a key element of the Kremlin's systematic efforts to deny and suppress Ukraine's identity, its history, and its culture. The report says Yale University researchers had identified at least 43 camps and other facilities where Ukrainian children have been held. It says they are part of a large-scale systematic network operated by Moscow since the war began in February 2022. The network of facilities is reportedly vast. It spans from Russia-occupied Crimea across Russia itself from the Black Sea region to the Far East. The children included those with parents or clear family guardianship. They also included children that Russia deemed orphans and others who were in the care of Ukrainian state institutions before the invasion. A security guard in the British Embassy in Berlin spied for Russia. He appeared in court yesterday and he's disgusted and ashamed for what he did. The guard collected highly sensitive information and passed some of it on to the Russian state. David Smith said he started collecting confidential information during a dispute with colleagues and while suffering from depression. He was arrested in 2021, a day after meeting an MI5 officer posing as a member of Russia's military intelligence service. Smith pleaded guilty in November to eight offenses under the Official Secrets Act. And turning to Scotland, the First Minister is stepping down. Nicola Sturgeon said her dominance over her party and the country is no longer the asset it once was in the fight for an independent Scotland. Since my very first moments in the job, I have believed that part of serving well would be to know almost instinctively when the time is right to make way for someone else. And when that time came, to have the courage to do so, even if to many across the country and in my party, it might feel too soon. 
In my head and in my heart, I know that time is now, that it is right for me, for my party and for the country. The 52-year-old has been First Minister since 2014. She said she would also stand down as leader of the ruling Scottish National Party. She added that she'll stay in office until her replacement is secured. She said she was wrestling for weeks with the questions of whether she should continue in her position and whether she would negatively impact the Scottish independence effort. Sturgeon became a party leader after a 2014 independence referendum when Scotland voted 55% to 45% to remain part of the United Kingdom. In recent months, she has been outmaneuvered by UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak over attempts to hold a second referendum. Over to the UK, the opposition Labour Party is accusing the government of overseeing a lavish spending culture. They say taxpayers' money was wasted on luxury items, but conservatives are calling the report a political stunt and saying the information is publicly available online. Labour accuses the government of overseeing what it calls a lavish spending culture in Whitehall, using government procurement cards. The party has compiled a dossier in the use of the cards showing that across 2021, for 14 major Whitehall departments, nearly £150 million were spent using the taxpayer-funded cards. That figure was £60 million more than 11 years ago in the equivalent departments, although around £20 million of the difference could be explained through inflation. The Tories have called Labour's analysis a political stunt. The analysis showed that in March 2021, when Rishi Sunak was Chancellor, the Treasury spent over £3,000 for 13 fine art photographs from the Tate Gallery, despite ministries having access to the government art collection's pictures. Transport Minister Richard Holden suggested Sunak was unlikely to have personally approved the Treasury spending. He accused Labour of wasting civil servants' time on information already in the public domain. Every month, all of these data is published transparently on the government's uh, website. But look, I, I can't justify, uh, I'm not going to uh, attempt to justify every individual piece of uh, government uh, well, spending on these cards. The report also shows that several departments appear to be using the cards to exhaust their budgets at the end of each financial year. For example, the Department of Health and Social Care in March 2021 spent almost £60,000 on items of stationery. That's compared with less than £1,500 in the whole of the rest of the year combined. Thousands of air travel passengers in Europe were stranded today. That's apparently due to an IT failure at the German airline Lufthansa. Lufthansa blamed the system failure on underground construction. Workers seem to have cut several fiber optic cables at a railway station in Frankfurt. The airline says repairs will take until later today. Lufthansa also owns Swiss, Austrian Airlines, Brussels Airlines, and Eurowings. These airlines canceled over 100 flights at the Frankfurt airport after today's system failure. It sounds familiar after airlines in the U.S. canceled over 1,000 flights last month after the breakdown of a key government computer system. In Portugal, a commission investigating the sexual abuse of children by members of the Portuguese Catholic Church has published a report. They said that at least 4,800 children were victimized over the past 70 years. Panel members called the findings only the tip of the iceberg. In Portugal, an expert panel looked into historic sex abuse of children in the Portuguese Catholic Church. 
These testimonies, as we will explain carefully, allow us to reach a much wider network of victims, calculated at a minimum number, absolute minimum, of 4,815 victims. He called the number just the tip of the iceberg. The committee, set up by Portuguese bishops just over a year ago, probed alleged cases from 1950 onward. Vatican official Hans Zoller said the church needs to be ready for more victims to come forward. Continue to listen for, uh, to victims because this will not be the end of it. We have now uh, a certain number of those who have been listened to, uh, who have answered the questionnaire, but this is not the end. The head of the bishops' conference apologized for the church having failed to grasp the scale of the problem. It is an open wound that hurts and shames us. We ask forgiveness from all the victims, those who courageously gave their testimony, who were in silence for so many years. Senior Portuguese church officials had previously claimed that only a handful of cases had occurred. The report said that three-quarters of the abusers were priests, with other perpetrators being linked to church institutions. Most of the abuse took place when the victims were in early adolescence. The panel regretted that the Vatican had taken so long to grant access to church archives. Portuguese bishops are due to discuss the report at an extraordinary meeting in early March. The church hasn't said whether it intends to pay compensation to any victims. For Antonio Marouge, a journalist covering religion for decades, the matter becomes even more relevant as Portugal is gearing up to host World Youth Day in August in Lisbon, with an expected visit by Pope Francis. World Youth Day needs to be an opportunity to show young people that Firstly, the church is willing to change. The hierarchy of the church is willing to change behaviors. The statute of limitations has expired on most of the alleged cases. The panel said only 25 allegations were passed to prosecutors. Just ahead, a show that is out of this world. Shen Yun drew a full house in Hartford, Connecticut. We'll hear what the audience has to say. Good to have you back with us. Shen Yun Performing Arts is touring around the world. Audiences say the show resonates with them and brings a universal message. Here's what people had to say after watching the show in Hartford, Connecticut. Powerful, beautiful, and inspiring. Shen Yun Performing Arts drew a full house for two performances on February 11th. One audience member, a doctor, brought her mother, two kids, and a friend to see the show. This is out of the world. Congratulations with all my heart. Tears to my eyes when I saw this. It was amazing, beautiful. Uh, yeah, I actually got tears toward the end as well. Uh, the talent and the dedication and the work that these guys have put in is just amazing. The message is a universal message and I've been wanting to see this show for years, so I was really glad I could take my mom and kids and friend, but um, truth, compassion, forbearance, I mean, what else is gonna bring us together after so much? of what has gone on environmentally, politically, socially. We really need those three messages. So thank you for that and the beautiful performance. 
Xin Yun aims to revive genuine traditional Chinese culture through music and dance. I think it's marvelous. It's so sad what's going on socially in the world that this is a very beautiful thing to bring to people all over. Uh, the stories resonated with me, especially the last one. That story actually about the communist suppression of the people trying to express how they felt, that resonated with me. The audience said Xin Yun is bringing powerful values to the world. And the message that is really resonating here is about, you know, compassion, love and forbearance in the future and divine intervention and the hope for humanity and good. You feel uplifted, yeah, after that. The spiritual aspect is also very uh, inspiring. It's got me thinking, it makes me want to grow and be a better person. I think it can help society a lot. I think if more people saw this, they would be happy and feel empowered. Xin Yun is performing in eight cities in the U.S., as well as France, Germany, and South Korea this week. NTD News, Hartford, Connecticut. Another step towards commercializing space travel, Axiom Space plans the next private astronaut mission to the International Space Station. Here's who will be on it. NASA and its partners announced that former NASA astronaut Peggy Whitson will command the flight. John Schaffner, a businessman from Knoxville, Tennessee, will serve as pilot. And two people from Saudi Arabia will be mission specialists. The crew is set to travel to the International Space Station on a SpaceX Dragon spacecraft. They plan to spend 10 days there and take part in a number of commercial and outreach activities. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.